17. A word or the error sense, but I will say no more of this but that, if a good painter represents the fury of a battle, and if a poet describes one, and they are both together put before the public, you will see where most of the spectators will stop, to which they will pay most attention, on which they will bestow most praise, and which will satisfy them best. Undoubtedly painting being by a long way the more intelligible and beautiful, will please most. Write up the name of God Christ in some spot and set up his image opposite and you will see which will be most reverenced. Painting comprehends in itself all the forms of nature, while you have nothing but words, which are not universal as for myland and if you have the effects of the representation, we have the representation of the effects. Take a poet who describes the beauty of a lady to her lover and a painter who represents her and you will see to which nature guides the enamored critic. Certainly the proof should be allowed to rest on the verdict of experience. You have ranked painting among the mechanical arts but, in truth, if painters were as apt at praising their own works in writing as you are, it would not lie under the stigma of so base a name, if you call it mechanical because it island in the first place. Manual and that it is the hand which produces what is to be found in the imagination. You two writers, who set down manually with the pen what is devised in your mind, and if you say it is mechanical because it is done for money, who falls into this error if error it can be called more than you. If you lecture in the schools do you not go to whoever pays you most? Do you do any work without pay? Still, I do not say this as blaming such views, for every form of labor looks for its reward. And if a poet should say, I will invent a fiction with a great purpose, the painter can do the same, as a Pelley's painted calumny. If you were to say that poetry is more eternal, I say the works of a coppersmith are more eternal still, for time preserves them longer than your works or ours, nevertheless they have not much imagination, and a picture, if painted on copper with enamel colors may be yet more permanent, we, by our arts may be called the grandsons of God. If poetry deals with moral philosophy, painting deals with natural philosophy. Poetry describes the action of the mind. Painting considers what the mind may affect by the motions of the body. If poetry can terrify people by hideous fictions, painting can do as much by depicting the same things in action. Supposing that a poet applies himself to represent beauty, ferocity, or a base, a foul or a monstrous thing, as against a painter. He may in his ways bring forth a variety of forms, but will the painter not satisfy more? Are there not pictures to be seen, so like the actual things, that they deceive men and animals? Painting is superior to sculpture 655, 656, 655, that sculpture is less intellectual than painting, and lacks many characteristics of nature. I myself having exercised myself no less in sculpture than in painting and doing both one and the other in the same degree, it seems to me that I can, without invidiousness, pronounce an opinion as to which of the two is of the greatest merit and difficulty and perfection. In the first place sculpture requires a certain light, that is from above, a picture carries everywhere with it its own light and shade, thus sculpture owes its importance to light and shade, and the sculptor is aided in this by the nature of the relief which is inherent in it, while the painter whose art expresses the accidental aspects of nature, places his effects in the spots where nature must necessarily produce them. The sculptor cannot diversify his work by the various natural colors of objects, painting is not defective in any particular. The sculptor when he uses perspective cannot make it in any way appear true, that of the painter can appear like a hundred miles beyond the picture itself. 
Their works have no aerial perspective whatever. They cannot represent transparent bodies. They cannot represent luminous bodies, nor reflected lights, nor lustrous bodies as mirrors and the like polished surfaces, nor mists, nor dark skies, nor an infinite number of things which need not be told for fear of tedium, as regards the power of resisting time, though they have this resistance footnote 19, from what is here said as to painting on copper it is very evident that Leonardo was not acquainted with the method of painting in oil on thin copper plates introduced by the Flemish painters of the 8th century. J. Iliarumoliathus has already pointed out that in the various collections containing pictures by the great masters of the Italian Renaissance, those painted on copper for instance the famous reading Magdalene in the Dresden Gallery are the works of a much later date sees each refer build and kunst, volume X page 333, and, Werke Italianischer Master in den Galerien von München, Dresden und Berlin, Leipzig 1880 page 158 and 159, compare number 654, 29, a picture painted on thick copper covered with white enamel on which it is painted with enamel colors and then put into the fire again and baked, far exceeds sculpture in permanence, it may be said that if a mistake is made it is not easy to remedy it, it is but a poor argument to try to prove that a work be the nobler because oversights are irremediable, I should rather say that it will be more difficult to improve the mind of the master who makes such mistakes than to repair the work he has spoiled. 656. We know very well that a really experienced and good painter will not make such mistakes, on the contrary, with sound rules he will remove so little at a time that he will bring his work to a good issue. Again the sculptor if working in clay or wax, can add or reduce, and when his model is finished it can easily be cast in bronze and this is the last operation and is the most permanent form of sculpture, inasmuch as that which is merely of marble is liable to ruin, but not bronze, hence a painting done on copper which as I said of painting may be added to or altered, resembles sculpture in bronze, which, having first been made in wax could then be altered or added to, and its sculpture in bronze is durable, this work in copper and enamel is absolutely imperishable, bronze is but dark and rough after all, but this latter is covered with various and lovely colors in infinite variety, as has been said above, or if you will have me only speak of painting on panel, I am content to pronounce between it and sculpture, saying that painting is the more beautiful and the more imaginative and the more copious, while sculpture is the more durable but it has nothing else, sculpture shows with little labor what in painting appears a miraculous thing to do, to make what is impalpable appear palpable, flat objects appear in relief, Distant objects seem close. In fact painting is adorned with infinite possibilities which sculpture cannot command. Atherism 657, 659, 657, of painting. Men and words are ready made. And you, O painter, if you do not know how to make your figures move, are like an orator who knows not how to use his words. 658, as soon as the poet ceases to represent in words what exists in nature. He in fact ceases to resemble the painter, for if the poet, leaving such representation, proceeds to describe the flowery and flattering speech of the figure, which he wishes to make the speaker, he then is an orator and no longer a poet nor a painter, and if he speaks of the heavens he becomes an astrologer, and philosopher, and a theologian, if he discourses of nature or God, but, if he restricts himself to the description of objects, he would enter the lists against the painter. If with words he could satisfy the eye as the painter does, 
659. Though you may be able to tell or write the exact description of forms, the painter can so depict them that they will appear alive, with the shadow and light which show the expression of a face, which you cannot accomplish with the pen though it can be achieved by the brush. On the history of painting 660, 661, 660, that painting declines and deteriorates from age to age. When painters have no other standard than painting already done, hence the painter will produce pictures of small merit if he takes for his standard the pictures of others. But if he will study from natural objects he will bear good fruit, as was seen in the painters after the Romans who always imitated each other and so their art constantly declined from age to age. After these came Giotto the Florentine who not content with imitating the works of Cimabue his master being born in the mountains and in a solitude inhabited only by goats and such beasts, and being guided by nature to his art, began by drawing on the rocks the movements of the goats of which he was keeper, and thus he began to draw all the animals which were to be found in the country, and in such wise that after much study he excelled not only all the masters of his time but all those of many bygone ages. Afterwards this art declined again, because everyone imitated the pictures that were already done, thus it went on from century to century until Tommaso, of Florence, nicknamed Masaccio, showed by his perfect works how those who take for their standard anyone but nature the mistress of all masters weary themselves in vain, and, I would say about these mathematical studies that those who only study the authorities and not the works of nature are descendants but not sons of nature the mistress of all good authors. Oh! How great is the folly of those who blame those who learn from nature footnote 22, Lasciando Sterliatori. In this observation we may detect an indirect evidence that Leonardo regarded his knowledge of natural history as derived from his own investigations, as well as his theories of perspective and optics. Compare what he says in praise of experience volii, xix, setting aside those authorities who themselves were the disciples of nature, 661, that the first drawing was a simple line drawn round the shadow of a man cast by the sun on a wall, the painter's scope, 662, the painter strives and competes with nature, x studies and sketches for pictures and decorations. An artist's manuscript notes can hardly be expected to contain anything more than incidental references to those masterpieces of his work of which the fame, sounded in the writings of his contemporaries, has left a glorious echo to posterity. We need not therefore be surprised to find that the texts here reproduced do not afford us such comprehensive information as we could wish. On the other hand, the sketches and studies prepared by Leonardo for the two grandest compositions he ever executed, the fresco of the Last Supper in the refectory of Santa Maria del Grazie at Milan, and the cartoon of the Battle of Enviari, for the Palazzo della Signoria at Florence have been preserved, and, though far from complete, are so much more numerous than the manuscript notes, that we are justified in asserting that in value and interest they amply compensate for the meagerness of the written suggestions. The notes for the composition of the Last Supper, which are given under NOS, 665 and 666 occur in a mis at South Kensington, II, written in the years 1494-1495. This mis sketch was noted down not more than three or four years before the painting was executed, which justifies the inference that at the time when it was written the painter had not made up his mind definitely even as to the general scheme of the work, and from this we may also conclude that the drawings of apostles' heads at Windsor, in red chalk, must be ascribed to a later date.
they are studies for the head of St. Matthew, the fourth figure on Christ's left hand see place XLVII, the sketch in black chalk for the head of St. Philip, the third figure on the left hand see place XLVII, for Street Peter's right arm see place XLIX, and for the expressive head of Judas which has unfortunately somewhat suffered by subsequent restoration of outlines, see place L, according to a tradition, as unfounded as it is improbable. Leonardo made use of the head of Padre Bandelli, the prior of the convent, as the prototype of his Judas, this however has already been contradicted by Amoretti, Memori Storici, Cap, XIV, the study of the head of a criminal on place Lee has, it seems to me, a better claim to be regarded as one of the preparatory sketches for the head of Judas, the Windsor collection contains two old copies of the head of Saint Simon, the figure to the extreme left of Christ, both of about equal merit they are marked as NOS. 21 and 36 the second was reproduced on place VIII of the Grosvenor Gallery publication in 1878. There is also at Windsor a drawing in black chalk of folded hands marked with the old number 212, number LXI of the Grosvenor Gallery publication which I believe to be a copy of the hands of St. John, by some unknown pupil. A reproduction of the excellent drawings of heads of apostles in the possession of H.R.H. the Grand Duchess of Weimar would have been out of my province in this work. And, with regard to them, I must confine myself to pointing out that the difference in style does not allow of our placing the Weimar drawings in the same category as those here reproduced. The mode of grouping in the Weimar drawings is of itself sufficient to indicate that they were not executed before the picture was painted. But, on the contrary, afterwards, and an island on the face of it. Incredible that so great a master should thus have copied from his own work. The drawing of Christ's head, in the Brera Palace at Milan was perhaps originally the work of Leonardo's hand, it has unfortunately been entirely retouched and redrawn, so that no decisive opinion can be formed as to its genuineness. The red chalk drawing reproduced on place XLVI is in the Academia at Venice, it was probably made before the text. NOS. 664 and 665, was written, the two pen and ink sketches on place XLV seem to belong to an even earlier date, the more finished drawing of the two, on the right hand, represents Christ with only Saint John and Judas and a third disciple whose action is precisely that described in number 666, place 4, it is hardly necessary to observe that the other sketches on this page and the lines of text below the circle containing the solution of a geometrical problem have no reference to the picture of the Last Supper. With this figure of Christ may be compared a similar pen and ink drawing reproduced on page 297 below on the left hand, the original is in the Louvre. On this page again the rest of the sketches have no direct bearing on the composition of the Last Supper, not even, as it seems to me. The group of four men at the bottom to the right hand who are listening to a fifth, in their midst addressing them. Moreover the writing on this page and explanation of a disc-shaped instrument is certainly not in the same style as we find constantly used by Leonardo after the year 1489. It may be incidentally remarked that no sketches are known for the portrait of Mona Lisa, nor do the misnotes ever allude to it, though according to Vasari the master had it in hand for fully four years. Leonardo's cartoon for the picture of the Battle of Enghiari has shared the fate of the rival work. Michelangelo's bathers summoned to battle. Both have been lost in some wholly inexplicable manner. I cannot here enter into the remarkable history of this work, I can only give an account of what has been preserved to us of Leonardo's scheme and preparations for executing it. 
the extent of the material in studies and drawings was till now quite unknown. Their publication here may give some adequate idea of the grandeur of this famous work. The text given as number 669 contains a description of the particulars of the battle, but for the reasons given in the note to this text, I must abandon the idea of taking this passage as the basis of my attempt to reconstruct the picture as the artist conceived and executed it. I may here remind the reader that Leonardo prepared the cartoon in the Solid del Papa of Santa Maria Novella at Florence and worked there from the end of October 1503 till February 1504, and then was busied with the painting in the Solid del Concilio in the Palazzo della Signoria, till the work was interrupted at the end of May 1506. See Milanese's note to Vasari pages 43-45 volume I. The Education 1880. Vasari, as is well known, describes only one scene or episode of the cartoon The Battle for the Standard in the foreground of the composition, as it would seem, and this only was ever finished as a mural decoration in the Solid del Concilio. This portion of the composition is familiar to all from the disfigured copy engraved by Aidlink. Mariette had already very acutely observed that Aidlink must surely have worked from a Flemish copy of the picture. There is in the Louvre a drawing by Rubens No. 565 which also represents four horsemen fighting round a standard and which agrees with Aidlink's engraving. But the engraving reverses the drawing. An earlier Flemish drawing, such as may have served as the model for both Rubens and Aidlink, is in the Uffizi collection see Phil Potts's photograph. Number 732. It seems to be a work of the second half of the Smith century, a time when both the picture and the cartoon had already been destroyed. It is apparently the production of a not very skilled hand. Raphael Trichet du Fresna, 1651, mentions that a small picture by Leonardo himself of the Battle of the Standard was then extant in the Tuileries. By this he probably means the painting on panel which is now in the possession of Madame Timble in Paris, and which has lately been engraved by Hausulier as a work by Leonardo. The picture, which is very carefully painted, seems to me however to be the work of some unknown Florentine painter, and probably executed within the first ten years of the Smith century. At the same time, it would seem to be a copy not from Leonardo's cartoon, but from his picture in the Palazzo della Signoria, at any rate this little picture, and the small Flemish drawing in Florence are the oldest finished copies of this episode in the great composition of the Battle of Enviari, in his life of Raphael. Vasari tells us that Raphael copied certain works of Leonardo's during his stay in Florence. Raphael's first visit to Florence lasted from the middle of October 1504 till July 1505, and he revisited it in the summer of 1506. The Hasty Sketch, now in the possession of the University of Oxford and reproduced on page 337 also represents the Battle of the Standard and seems to have been made during his first stay and therefore not from the fresco but from the cartoon, for, on the same sheet we also find, besides an old man's head drawn in Leonardo's style, some studies for the figure of St. John the Martyr which Raphael used in 1505 in his great fresco in the church of San Severo at Perugia, of Leonardo's studies for the battle of Enviari I must in the first place point to five, on three of which place Eliai to, place Eliai place LVI we find studies for the episode of the standard, the standard bearer, who, in the above named copies is seen stooping, holding on to the staff across his shoulder, is immediately recognizable as the left-hand figure in Raphael's sketch, and we find it in a similar attitude in Leonardo's pen and ink drawing in the British Museum place LII, to the lower figure to the right, 
it is not difficult to identify the same figure into more complicated groups in the pen and ink drawings, now in the Academia at Venice Place LII, and place live where we also find some studies of foot soldiers fighting, on the sheet in the British Museum Place LII, too we find, among others, one group of three horses galloping forwards, one horseman is thrown and protects himself with his buckler against the lance thrusts of two others on horseback, who try to pierce him as they ride past. The same action is repeated, with some variation, into sketches in pen and ink on a third sheet. In the Academia at Venice, place LV, a coincidence which suggests the probability of such an incident having actually been represented on the cartoon, we are not, it is true in a position to declare with any certainty which of these three dissimilar sketches may have been the nearest to the group finally adopted in executing the cartoon. With regard, however, to one of the groups of horsemen it is possible to determine with perfect certainty not only which arrangement was preferred, but the position it occupied in the composition. The group of horsemen on place LVII is a drawing in black chalk at Windsor, which is there attributed to Leonardo but which appears to me to be the work of Cesar de Sesto, and the commendator Juff, Morelli supports me in this view. It can hardly be doubted that de Sesto, as a pupil of Leonardo's, made this drawing from his master's cartoon, if we compare it with the copy made by Raphael here reproduced. For just above the fighting horseman in Raphael's copy it is possible to detect a horse which is seen from behind, going at a slower pace with his tail flying out to the right and the same horse may be seen in the very same attitude carrying a gimli sketched rider. In the foreground of Cesar de Sesto's drawing, if a very much rubbed drawing in black chalk at Windsor Place LVI Island as it appears to be, the reversed impression of an original drawing, it is not difficult to supplement from it the portions drawn by Cesar de Sesto. Nay, it may prove possible to reconstruct the whole of the lost cartoon from the mass of materials we now have at hand which we may regard as the nucleus of the composition. A large pen and ink drawing by Raphael in the Dresden collection, representing three horsemen fighting, and another, by Cesar de Sesto, in the Uffizi, of light horsemen fighting are a further contribution which will help us to reconstruct it. The sketch reproduced on place LV gives a suggestive example of the way in which foot soldiers may have been introduced into the cartoon as fighting among the groups of horsemen, and I may here take the opportunity of mentioning that, for reasons which it would be out of place to enlarge upon here, I believe the two genuine drawings by Raphael's hand in his Venetian sketchbook, as it is called one of a standard bearer marching towards the left, and one of two foot soldiers armed with spears and fighting with a horseman to be undoubtedly copies from the cartoon of the Battle of Enviari. Leonardo's two drawings, preserved in the museum at Budapest and reproduced on pages 338 and 339 are preliminary studies for the heads of fighting warriors. The two heads drawn in black chalk page 338 and the one seen in profile, turn to the left, drawn in red chalk page 339 correspond exactly with those of two horsemen in the scene of the fight round the standard as we see them in Madame Timble's picture and in the other finished copies. An old copy of the last name drawing by a pupil of Leonardo is in Miss C.A. 187b, 561b.C. Saggio, Toff, XXII. Leonardo used to make such finished studies of heads as those, drawn on detached sheets. Before beginning his pictures from his drawings compare the preparatory studies for the fresco of the Last Supper, given on place XLVII and place L. Other drawings of heads, 
all characterized by the expression of vehement excitement that is appropriate to men fighting, are to be seen at Windsor No. 44 and at the Academia at Venice I.D. 13. At the back of one of the drawings at Budapest there is the bust of a warrior carrying a spear on his left shoulder. Holding up the left arm seeks attack a PXVILK Sazad Molas Zilatadapi These drawings may have been made for other portions of the cartoon, of which no copies exist, and thus we are unable to identify these preparatory drawings. Finally I may add that a sketch of fighting horse and foot soldiers, formerly in the possession of M. Thier and published by Charles Blanc in his Vise de Painters, can hardly be accepted as genuine. It is not to be found as I am informed, among the late president's property, and no one appears to know where it now is, an attempted reconstruction of the cartoon, which is not only unsuccessful but perfectly unfounded, is to be seen in the lithograph by Borgart, published in Charles Blanc's Vise de Painters, and reprinted in The Great Artists, L.D.A. Vinci, page 80. This misleading pastiche may now be rejected without hesitation. There are yet a few original drawings by Leonardo which might be mentioned here as possibly belonging to the cartoon of the battle, such as the pen and ink sketches on place XXI and on place XXXVIII. Number 3. But we should risk too wide a departure from the domain of ascertained fact. With regard to the colors and other materials used by Leonardo the reader may be referred to the quotations from the accounts for the picture in question given by Milanese in his edition of Vizari Volume I.D. Page 44. Note where we find entries of a similar character to those in Leonardo's notebooks for the year 1505, SKN 12 C number 636, that Leonardo was employed in designing decorations and other preparations for high festivals, particularly for the court of Milan. We learn not only from the writings of his contemporaries but from his own incidental allusions, for instance in this CL 5B1, L9. In the arrangement of the texts referring to this I have placed those first, in which historical personages are named NOS, 670-674. Among the descriptions of allegorical subjects to texts lately found at Oxford have been included, NOS, 676 and 677. They are particularly interesting because they are accompanied by large sketches which render the meaning of the texts perfectly clear. It is very intelligible that in other cases, where there are no illustrative sketches, the notes must necessarily remain obscure or admit of various interpretations. The literature of the time affords ample evidence of the use of such allegorical representations, particularly during the Carnival and in Leonardo's notes we find the Carnival expressly mentioned NOS, 685 and 704. Vasari in his Life of Pontormo, particularly describes that artist's various undertakings for Carnival festivities. These very graphic descriptions appear to me to throw great light in more ways than one on the meaning of Leonardo's various notes as to allegorical representations and also on mottos and emblems NOS. 681-702 In passing judgment on the allegorical sketches and emblems it must not be overlooked that even as pictures they were always accompanied by explanations in words. Several finished drawings of allegorical compositions or figures have been preserved but as they have no corresponding explanation in the NSS, they had no claim to be reproduced here. The female figure on place XXVI may perhaps be regarded as a study for such an allegorical painting, of which the purport would have been explained by an inscription, on Madonna Pictures, 663. In the autumn of 1478 I began the two Madonna Pictures, 
Footnote, photographs of this page have been published by Brown, number 439, and Philpot, number 718, 1. In Comanche, we have no other information as to the two pictures of the Madonna here spoken of, as Leonardo here tells us that he had begun two Madonnas at the same time. The word in Comanche may be understood to mean that he had begun at the same time preparatory studies for two pictures to be painted later. If this is so, the non-existence of the pictures may be explained by supposing that they were only planned and never executed. I may here mention a few studies for pictures of the Madonna which probably belong to this early time, particularly a drawing in silver point on bluish tinted paper at Windsor C Place XL. Number 3. A drawing of which the details have almost disappeared in the original but have been rendered quite distinct in the reproduction. Secondly a slight pen and ink sketch in the Codex VALLARDI. In the Louvre. Full. 64. Number 2316. Again a silver point drawing of a virgin and child drawn over again with the pen in the His de la Salle collection also in the Louvre. Number 101. C.V. both DTA UZIA. Notice to Dessens de la Collection His de la Salle. Exposes a Louvre. Paris 1881. Pages 80. 81. This drawing island it is true. Traditionally ascribed to Raphael. But the author of the catalogue very justly points out its great resemblance with the sketches for Madonnas in the British Museum which are indisputably Leonardo's. Some of these have been published by Mr. Henry Wallace in the Art Journal. New Seer. Number 14. February 1882. If the non-existence of the two pictures here alluded to justifies my hypothesis that only studies for such pictures are meant by the text, it may also be supposed that the drawings were made for some comrade in Veyrocchio's atelier. See Vizari. Sansomni's Education Florence 1880. Volume IV. Page 564. The before di modo la maniera di Leonardo. La sepcosi bene imitare. Chania no fucina la pulitesa e nel finir la pier con diligenza limitas piu dilwi. Leonardo's notes give me no opportunity of discussing the pictures executed by him in Florence, before he moved to Milan. So the studies for the unfinished picture of the adoration of the Magi in the Uffizi. Florence cannot be described here, nor would any discussion about the picture in the Louvre, Lovierge aux Rochers, be appropriate in the absence of all allusion to it in the Anasses. Therefore, when I presently add a few remarks on this painting in explanation of the master's drawings for it, it will be not merely with a view to facilitate critical researches about the picture now in the National Gallery, London, which by some critics has been pronounced to be a replica of the Louvre picture, but also because I take this opportunity of publishing several finished studies of the masters which, even if they were not made in Florence but later in Milan, must have been prior to the painting of the Last Supper. The original picture in Paris is at present so disfigured by dust and varnish that the current reproductions in photography actually give evidence more of the injuries to which the picture has been exposed than of the original work itself. The woodcut given on page 344 is only intended to give a general notion of the composition. It must be understood that the outline and expression of the heads, which in the picture is obscured but not destroyed, is here altogether missed. The facsimiles which follow are from drawings which appear to me to be studies for Lovierge aux Rochers. 1. A drawing in silver point on brown tome paper of a woman's head looking to the left. In the Royal Library at Turin. Apparently a study from nature for the angel's head place XLII. 2. A study of drapery for the left leg of the same figure. Done with the brush. 
Indian ink on greenish paper, the lights heightened with white. The original is at Windsor, number 223. The reproduction place XLII is defective in the shadow on the upper part of the thigh, which is not so deep as in the orb.